doing tonight? It is Brady back with the Three Mile Creek Podcast. Today is Tuesday, March 27th here in Minnesota. It's a balmy 30 degrees. Snow slowly melting. Birds are chirping. Dogs are going wild. As you just heard, there's a couple of them barking. We have two of our own dogs and mom must be home. We have a yellow lab that was, he was rescued out of Iowa, a pretty tough situation. There was a bunch of litters in this one house. This lady claimed to be a professional or whatever. Uh, she bred dogs for a living. That's what, that's what turned out to be. And it was, it was sad. We drove four hours to pick him up. His name is Kenai, um, like the Kenai River, Kenai Peninsula up in Alaska. And Alaska is what I'm going to talk about tonight on my episode. Um, he is, Kenai is a little over a year. He's He was a pain in our ass for the last year. He, I've never had a dog back talk me. And he, it, everything, everything you say, you tell him to sit, he back talks you. He will sit down, he lays down, he has very good manners. But when you talk to him, he just makes noises back at you. He, he barks occasionally. Like you just heard a little bit ago, especially when mom gets home. Our other little pup is a, I don't even know what to describe her as. We got her DNA results back a couple weeks ago, and I would say that somebody pulled those out of their ass because the way she looks, uh, the, the breeds that they say she has in her do not make sense. They say she had German Shepherd, Golden Retriever, um, what else are there? Siberian Husky, a Chow, all great big fluffy dogs. And she is the opposite. She is a small little fluffy little, I call her an ankle biter, but she doesn't bite her ankles. She's probably the most well-behaved dog we've ever had. We got her from a local animal rescue. She was rescued down in Nebraska on an Indian reservation. Sometimes someone from our area was driving through Nebraska, I guess, and came across a litter that I believe there was seven puppies that were part of the litter, um, mixed breed, all sorts of genes and breeds mixed into one, and the mom was there underneath an abandoned house feeding the seven puppies. Um, they were all tiny, just a couple weeks old, two or, two or three weeks old when they were found, and somebody rescued them and brought them up to uh, southern Minnesota to an animal shelter, and a bunch of donations poured in to start caring for them. And they got tested, and they all had parvo. Um, all the puppies had parvo, and one little pup ended up not making it, and the one we ended up getting her name is Denali named after Denali National Park Denali Mountain um, in Alaska if you're unaware uh, that was that is her name and she was the next one to go the vet said her parvo was pretty tough on her and somehow the antibiotics the fluids all did their did their thing and she was able to pull through if you caught on, we named both of our dogs after Alaskan um, 
I would call them destinations, maybe, with Kenai. There's the Kenai River, like I said earlier. I don't... There's the Kenai Mountain Range, I believe, the Kenai Peninsula, and then we have Denali, which is Denali National Park, the Denali Wilderness, the Denali Mountain, also known as Mount McKinley. Welcome back to the Three Mile Creek Podcast. I'm Brady, and we are going to talk a little bit about my Alaska trip last year to Alaska. Weird. From Minnesota. We flew out of Minneapolis on July 4th and landed in Fairbanks on July 4th. No way. Yeah. So that's how that went. Um, gonna talk a little bit about what we did, what we saw, what we toured, drove to, trained to, boated to. So yeah, like I said, the first thing we did was we flew to Fairbanks, Alaska. Kinda smack dab center, south center center of the state on the southern side. The state is massive, so I, I would say it's more in the south center. Look on a map. Tell me if I'm wrong. Send me an email. Tell me I'm wrong. We stayed at a hotel. I should back up. I, we, we flew out, my wife and I, at the time it was my fiance, flew out to Fairbanks with her family, uh, a, a set of aunt and uncles, her parents, her younger sister, and her grandparents, and it was actually for their 60th wedding anniversary. We were celebrating, and that's where they wanted to go, and we went. So that's that, and I don't think anybody argued that they wanted to go to Alaska. The great unknown. The last Alaskans. Deadliest catch. Without the crabs. Romo's out of gas. Cold. And that's where we'll stop that song. So the first night we stayed overnight in downtown Fairbanks. Honestly, I'm going to give my honest opinion because I'm an honest man and I expect honesty from people. I was not a fan of Fairbanks. Number one, it was sunny from 5 a.m. until midnight because things are a little different up there. I'm not going to go into the science on why that is. You can look it up. But it's does it does not get dark up there during the summer months. I will say that the winter months it does not get sunny. It's dark all day long. Look it up. Like I said, I'm not going to tell you the scientific reasons on why. It's pretty easy to figure out. Basic science class will tell you why. the The layout of Fairbanks is it's a great town for specific reasons the scenery is pretty cool uh, very nice airport we had no issues there there's a lot of history at the airport a lot of stuff to learn about there but going throughout the city we had a hotel taxi so that was 
pretty common what a hotel taxi driver looks like. I'm sure you all have done it before. We got to our hotel and we were all hungry because airplane food can be expensive. And so we all ordered pizza to the hotel and we had to go pick it up. And we decided to go do some exploring at 9 o'clock on a Wednesday night, 4th of July, in Fairbanks, Alaska. And it was dirty. It was quite scary. There was a lot of homeless, very intoxicated people sleeping where they pleased, hanging out, just chilling on the streets. We were stepping over people to go get our pizza. We went to uh, a bank that well, uh, had an ATM there, and we were going to get some cash. And in order to get up to the front steps, we had to step over two passed out homeless people. So that was a lot of fun. We had my wife's fiance at the time, little nine year old sister. So she was tagging along with us, and. It was just one of those things where she, you could tell, look in her face, she wasn't very comfortable with where we were. We all didn't feel the most safe. I mean, I'm a pretty big guy, but I'd rather not have to deal with an unfortunate situation. So we all kind of decided to head back to the hotel after we got our pizza and hang out there, go to bed, get some good night's sleep. Because the next two days we're going to be a lot of exploring. So I went to bed and woke up, like I said, and drove 15 miles out of town and got on the train, the Alaskan Railroad. Oh my gosh. Little kids' dreams coming true for me. The coolest thing I've ever done, I'd say. It was bright and early there's a conductor sitting out front ringing the bell you got your ticket your luggage and you hop on the train and you find your spot and you load up and the bloody mary started flowing at 7 a.m me and my father-in-law got off got after that immediately they were free i mean you pay for the trip so nothing's free but it feels like it. So we drank plenty of Bloody Marys starting at 7 a.m. We took off through Fairbanks. And off the bat, it was wild. We were cruising over rivers and through mountains and over the hill we went. Um, all sorts of little villages. My favorite was this little town. And so the train passes through... Uh, well, a few various trains pass through daily, and there's this little village, I think it's like population 17, there's not even a town, it's not even a, there's no name for it, but there's a guy that lives in the village that they say is Santa Claus, and he's the self-proclaimed mayor of this village of 17 people, and every time a train passes through, he goes out to the railroad tracks and waves like he's the mayor because he claims he is. And we all got a kick out of it. The, the train honks at him and everyone waves and claps and hoots and hollers. And it's, it's a joyous time. We actually rode on the Denali Star 
train. It's it's all part of the Alaska Railroad, but there's different types of train cars, I'd say. There's a few various ones. And like I said, we're on the Denali Star. So this is like, they call it the flagship train. And each day in the summer, the Denali Star, I believe it departs Anchorage. It's a 12-hour journey north of Fairbanks. So we're going the opposite way. Some people land or fly into Anchorage and go up to Fairbanks. We went the opposite way. And we stopped in Wasilla, Talkeetna, uh, Denali National Park. And I think those were the stops. And so Denali National Park was about halfway between Fairbanks and where we needed to go in Anchorage. We went to Denali and stayed there for, let's see, we got the train and stayed there for two nights. Ate and drank and enjoyed a bunch of shows and toured the park. I got a kick out of it, and I wanted to make sure I talked about this. This is a, I will remember this for the rest of my life. Like I said, we had a little nine-year-old girl with us. There was a, we had a, and two elderly people that, they can move around just fine. But the first day we stopped in Denali National Park. So you get off the trains, and there's these huge buses, these coach buses sitting there waiting to pick all the passengers up and load them up and get them to the resort at Denali National Park, which is ginormous. The park is absolutely ginormous. And <laughs> so we got off, dropped our luggage off, and decided to go do some exploring. And there's this main trail. You have to walk a little ways, probably five miles. And we decided to take this trail. And as we were going down there, from on top of the trail, you could see that there was a pond at the very bottom. And in the pond was a mother moose and two calves. And they were bathing, drinking, eating, hanging out, minding their own business. And what do we do as tourists? Everyone flocks to that to get the best Instagram photo. Who's going to take that best Snapchat? And everyone's competing. So we went down there. And being a person who loves the outdoors and wilderness, I was pretty bothered by the fact that people feel like they need to get up and touch an animal that would trample them to death within seconds. So we all hung back, and we could see him from across the pond, and it was so cool. We got some cool photos. Uh, the scenery is unbelievable. But the part I want to talk about was we're walking in, and this part that we're going to is heavily known for some massive bears. I believe they were... There's grizzlies there, but not in the spot we were necessarily at. I mean, there, there's grizzlies everywhere, but it takes quite a bit for them to come down to the spot we were at, supposedly. And But the main thing was black brown bear I think and so we're walking into the spot like I said it was a probably three mile hike to the spot and we were meeting some tourists on the way out not meeting we we're just walking by them as they were going the opposite direction and 
we had a crew with us, and as these people were walking out, there was something I noticed about each one of them as they were walking out. Everyone had something to defend themselves. There was this group where, no joke, each person in the the group had dual revolvers on a chest mount. It was <laughs> it was like Lorecraft Tomb Raider coming out of this wilderness spot where these bears are at. And then there was another group where they were they all had numerous cans of bear spray. And seeing pistols in this spot was very common as there's bears everywhere and people wanted to defend themselves. And there's us, this family from Minnesota that doesn't have bear spray or the recommended bells and whistles to alert bears in the distance or the gun nothing we have nothing besides maybe a pocket knife one of us had maybe that was me to defend a bear I just wanted to touch base on that and we, we were we were down in the river bottom we saw the moose and everything that was all sweet and there was some cool stuff with that but then we went on a little expedition after that along the river and it was a sandy there's these sandy beaches that were super nice and it's probably 50 60 degrees out and good sweatshirt and short weather and we get to this beach and it's littered littered with bear prints tracks everywhere and we are good five miles from where we need to be at this point and there's not another tourist in sight besides our group and it's pretty heavily wooded and that that was that made the hair stand up on the back of my neck being unprepared in a spot with numerous there's definitely a bunch of bears that had just been there and luckily we made it out we only during a trip in Alaska, we only saw two bears, I think. There was, when we were up there, there was a bear attack um, right outside the Air Force Base in Anchorage. There was a guy riding a bike, pedal bike, and a mother bear uh, chased him down and pushed him off the bike because she had two cubs in a tree and he biked underneath it, I guess. Thankfully, that was not us. Back on the trip, we we stayed at Denali for two nights, I said. Lots of things to see, purchase. It was your normal touristy spot. And we stayed there two days, got back on the train, headed south down to Telkitna, Wasilla, all the way to Anchorage. It was a good trek. We got the Bloody Marys flowing again. There is no doubt about that and it was just a trip that it's so tough to put some of these trips into perspective you just have to go visit and explore them the train trip from Fairbanks to Alaska is something that I wish there could be a a video camera on top of my head that records all the scenery I mean you could see Mount Denali at one point it's tough because it's the highest point in North America, so it's 
covered by clouds like 90% of the time, they say. And we were 30 miles, 40? No, it's got to be longer than that, 50 miles out. And that's when we saw it for three seconds. It Clouds cleared, and they yell, look to your right, and the train's going 40 miles an hour, and you see it, and then it's gone. So that was part of that trip. Um, we made it down to Anchorage. And from Anchorage, we rented two two vehicles and drove about two hours south to Moose Pass. Anchorage seemed like a really nice town. It's definitely the biggest city in Alaska. And it seemed like I could live there. We weren't there for very long, so maybe I couldn't. I don't know. If you're from Anchorage and you got some interesting stuff to tell me about it, hit me up at my email and it seemed like a nice spot everything I'd like to do but maybe a little too much of a city Uh, we drove from Anchorage down to Moose Pass Moose Pass Alaska coolest place ever it is we stayed there for five days I think we did it through a what do they call that Airbnb where you can rent out a cabin or a house for it's just, you pay night by night or whatever, and we had nine, nine of us, so we rented out this decent-sized cabin that was overlooking Trail Lake in Moose Pass. Moose Pass, I believe, population, two, just over 200. Not 200,000, 200 people. Um, you're, you're submerged in the Chugach National Forest. You're about 100 miles south of Anchorage at this point, 30 miles north of Seward. Some people say Seward, Seward, whatever floats your boat. Some people, Someone will correct me on this. I'll hear about it, and that's fine, because I'm not from there, so I pronounce things wrong. The cabin was amazing. Had a hot tub, had a grill, had a spot to keep drinks clo- cold. Um, it was tough. I thought I'd do a little bit more fishing there, but... It wasn't very accessible from the spot we were at, and I didn't want to steal the vehicle because I was the only one that wanted to fish in the lake, and everyone else wanted to do other things. So I didn't do much of that. Um, We ended up booking a trip with Chugach Backcountry Fishing. Uh, Corey Hetrick and Jared Lundquist, I believe, and Jared's from Moose Pass. I know Corey's from the area. And I, I can't say enough about these guys. I was a little nervous about going into it. We were going to do, so I should back up, we were going to do some sockeye fishing on the Kenai River. Uh, we were going to get, we didn't know what was going on. We called them, signed up for the trip. They told us where to meet them, what to wear, what to bring. Um, we were told not to bring anything, just show up wearing clothes and they'll take care of us. And we get, we meet him at this gas station and took a bunch of back roads from there. And Corey and Jared were just awesome. Probably the best guys I've ever had. They were down to earth. They never got upset about anything. They, my wife's grandpa ended up snapping one of their fly rods and not on purpose. It was an accident. It was just in the boat and he was trying to get around and he leaned on it and it snapped and I don't even want to know the price of the rod, and it broke, and nobody batted an eye. It was just 
obviously that they do that for a living, but when equipment gets ruined, it's not the greatest day in the world of it, but they never made it a damper anything. And so we met them at this gas station and we followed them. We got in these suits and we got our wading boots. They got fly rods outfitted for us and we took two separate boats. So one was a one was a drift boat that we just drifted downstream. I was with Corey and we drifted downstream. No, I was with Jared. That's right. Drifted downstream, got to the spot he wanted to take us to. We had no idea. He could have brought us anywhere. And we got to the spot we wanted to go to. And the other crew went from the south up with the trailer. They parked at a, a spot farther downstream. And they, they had a motor on their boat, I believe. And they they paddled. No, they got all the way up to where we were. So they came quite a ways upstream. And we all met up and fished in this spot. I don't know how to explain it, but I'm going to give it a try. I'm used to fly fishing. I'm used to bait casting. I'm used to spinning reel fishing for walleyes and northerns and panfish in Minnesota and South Dakota and North Dakota. I've never done what we did up there. I've fly fished in Ireland. I've fly fished in Wyoming. I've fly fished in the Midwest. And this was not fly fishing. It was a fly rod, but it was... A fly rod with a leader and a weight, and at the end of your tippet was a hook. And on the end of the hook was a piece of red plastic. I'm assuming it was mimicking eggs, is what they eat, are other salmon eggs. And that's, I'm guessing, what it's mimicking. And the sockeye are not swimming around looking for eggs, food, stuff to survive on. They're swimming around, swimming upstream, and their mouths are clamping. Clamp. It's just like they open, close, open, close, open, close. And they do that, and they're so thick. And you cast out a little bit and your weight takes it down I you know it's like a three ace weight on there and you let your line feed out and as soon as you feel a little tug the hook just lands perfectly in their mouth from it just opening and closing and you feel that little tug and you set it you don't you don't set it like a bass similar to I'm not going to say like a walleye because I've seen some people set walleye like they're setting a, a bass hook. So it's just basically like a slow set and you just start reeling. And they can get off the hooks pretty easily. So you want to get them to the shore as fast as you can and then net them if you can. Um, we ended up catching probably 30 sockeye, 20, 20 sockeye, 25 sockeye I'd say. And it was a blast, absolutely a blast. Corey knew what he was doing. Jared knew what he was doing. They put us on the fish. They took, they took care of us. I couldn't recommend any better fishing guides than Corey and Jared at Chugach Backcountry Fishing. If you need more information about them, I'm more than willing to help out. And if you want more reviews or got any other questions, what you need, what you don't need, what you need to bring, I would love to help out 
those guys are two young guys that know exactly what they're doing and they have a lot of fun doing it so we did that for we did the river fishing for a day and oh get tired and just like that the wild loss to the predators in a shootout and stall was with us got his 40th goal of the year just tearing it up the wild are doing okay I don't know how many wild fans we have out there, but I'm definitely a wild fan. And not a Nashville fan, but my parents are in Nashville right now watching the game. Oh well. So back to the fishing. We, two days later, after fishing the river, we booked a deep sea fishing trip. Four of us went. Four, four brave souls decided to go to Seward. And go deep. No, no, no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Not Seward. We went to Homer, which was a four-hour drive from where we were. Homer, Alaska. It's on the southern, south, southernmost side. I don't know how to say it. The state is so big. There's other southern spots. It's right on the Gulf of Alaska. And we booked a trip with some outfitter that was going to take us deep sea fishing for halibut. And I've, I, I'll be honest, I've seen halibut, but I didn't know that that's what halibut looked like. So the days prior, I was researching on state records and how to catch them, how to hold them, what they eat. And obviously looking at the pictures, I thought, you know what, I'm going to set that next record. I'm going to catch one of those 600-pound halibut. And I'm going to be famous. You know? I mean, everyone up there is chasing these halibut. They're massive. Absolutely massive. So we went down to Homer. And we it was it was this uh, port where there was all these fishing, fishing boats. And everything you can imagine at an Alaskan harbor is there. They had a huge Coast Guard boat, which was badass. It was so sweet. Um, I got that was really cool to see. But all these little boats. So we met up with our guide, and he didn't give us much explanation on where he was going to be, what he was going to be wearing. We kind of just tracked him down by luck, and he didn't have much to say. And we got the boat. He he rigged us up with some life jackets, and we took off. And he he told us it was going to be about an hour trip. On a boat going 40 miles an hour. And that's tiring and long. And it's raining. And it's cloudy. And it's very wavy. So it was not very comfortable. And I'll get a kick out of it. When he, <laughs> we we're we we're on the his, this boat. I think it was probably like a 20, probably 26 foot boat. He ha- I was, We were in the cab. And it held us all. It was a nice little boat. And he... On the dash, he had a pistol, like a 9 mil or a forty-five. I'm not sure exactly what it was. It's kind of tough to see, but it was pointed. It was just sitting up there, and it wasn't completely secured or anything. So we got to a spot, and we started fishing, and I had brought it up. I said, so so what's the pistol for? And I wasn't too concerned about it. He was a nice guy. He's probably my age, um, maybe a little bit younger. He was, I'd say, in between 20 and 30, and... I asked him about the pistol, and he said, 
I said, what's a pistol for? And he goes, he goes, oh, it's for uh, unruly passengers. And the look on my face, I guess, was quite hysterical. <laughs> kind of scared the shit out of me. We're in the middle of nowhere, and he could probably do what he wants and get away with it. Nobody would know where we're at. It's massive. You can't see shore in any direction. We're in four or five hundred feet of water. Hundred feet of water, yes. And it was just quite comical. But no, he actually uses the the pistol in case he comes across a fish that he gets in the boat that he thinks can harm somebody in a sense. Not not necessarily shark, but um, larger fish that if they flap around could hurt somebody in the boat. He'll take care of them before he gets them in the boat so that they don't jump around and end up being a liability for uh, somebody that's out fishing. So that's what it was for. And so we get fishing. We went halibut fishing, like I said, and we tried out a few spots and caught some pretty massive fish. They're definitely the biggest fish I've ever caught. They're ugly sons of bitches. I've never seen or held one before. And I think the ones we were catching were probably 50 to 60 pounds, he said. And which I thought was crazy because I've never caught a 50-pound fish before. Like walleyes and stuff, 8, 9, 10 pounds. And northern's a little bit bigger than that. So I've never caught a 50-pound fish before in four or 500 feet of water. So it felt like you're, if these rods are four feet long and they're, oh my gosh, they're about an inch round. So there's no flex in these rods. And you're fighting this, and it feels like you're trying to reel in a boulder that's not moving. These hooks are scary. They're similar to, like, a catfish hook. They got that wicked tooth on it. And, oh, we're using these. I forgot exactly what we're using for bait. It was, like, these little, oh, they're obviously bigger than minnows, but. These fi- the bait we're using is size of some trout that we'll catch around here, so it's pretty remarkable. And you drop it down 400 feet, and you'd feel a little tug, barely, barely, like these rods don't flex. And you just start reeling. You don't set the hook, nothing. You just start reeling, and you fight. I bet you we fought some of those fish for 30 minutes, and you get them up to... Th- <laughs> we're also using weights that are 2 pounds. 2 pound weight just to get down that far we don't even catch fish around here sometimes that are two pounds so it's a long ways down there and it was so much fun it was it takes the right person to enjoy it i mean it's not sunny and you're not getting a suntan out there it's miserable it's wavy it's windy it's cold it's raining and I really enjoyed it. That's I like that type of weather. I like the harsh conditions. And we caught a lot of fish in this spot. And we ended up moving. We moved to a, a, a different spot in the Gulf of Alaska. And we were fishing in about 600 feet of water. And we were fishing. We weren't fishing for five minutes. And I got my line down. And I got a bite. And we started reeling, and I fought this fish for probably 45 minutes, maybe closer to an hour. My arms were on fire. I've never been so close to offering somebody to reel in my fish. It fought and fought. And we get it up, and it's a lingcod. I don't know if you, it's L-I-N-G-C-O-D, lingcod. Look them up. Ugly, beautiful, they taste wonderful fish. It 
it rose as soon as I got it up in the water and our guide freaked out. He, the size of it was unbelievable. Obviously to me, it's now my biggest fish I've ever caught. And I was freaking out and I was screaming and hooting and hollering and we go to net it. And he's got this massive net and he scoops it and the net snaps, the handle breaks. And luckily he had another one that was able to, he was able to whip that one out and get the fish. So it was double netted. And we get it in, and the oh, if you if you get a chance, check out our Instagram page because I have pictures of it on there, and that was so wild. It was, they're so ugly but beautiful, and they got wicked teeth. Oh man, it's it's so tough to put into words what this these lingcod are like, but our guide said it tasted excellent, so we kept it, and ate it back when we got to the, back home in Minnesota, not in Alaska. Uh, we also caught a lot of, I think they're redfish, kind of ugly, look like big goldfish. And I ended up catching another lingcod off the back of the boat. And it, I fought this one for no joke an hour. And we got it up. And it was probably not double the size of my first one, but not far off. It was ginormous and we went to go net it and the line snapped and we're using I think the line we're using was 80 pound test and the line snapped at the boat it was unbelievable and everyone saw it and it was just it was a dinosaur it was an absolute dinosaur and I'll never forget that it was so much fun um so that kind of wrapped up our deep sea fishing like I said there was four of us that went and we caught plenty of fish and we came back to came back to the harbor and our guides took care of them they got our address back home and basically we we gave them a tip when we were done we paid our fees um the processing fees and stuff like that wasn't too bad and then uh we gave them a tip obviously because they they took care of us out there all day and they gave them, gave them our address, and they took care of the rest. They cleaned the fish. They shipped them back home for us, and they showed up basically the day after we got back home, so it was just about perfect. Um, a crazy thing about our guide for our Homer Alaska halibut trip, I wish I would remember his name. He was he was pretty cool. He's You could tell he was a tough son of a bitch. He bust his ass to make sure that we caught fish. And I asked him what he did in the free time. Because I think he said he guided for about four months out of the year, um, halibut fishing. And then the other months of the year, he works for a rancher. And he flies he flies a helicopter for one of these ranchers that is in Alaska. So, I mean, they're, they've got land everywhere. And instead of driving, they fly the helicopter. And that's what he does in his free time. And I thought that was so cool. That's absolute dreams coming true to me. That would to guide for four months and fly a helicopter for the rest of the year. Could you really beat that? No. So I'm gonna be wrapping up my podcast here tonight. This is episode three. Um, like I said, I just I'm giving this a whirl. I've never done this before. Just talking and talking about my experiences, places I've been, places I've seen, things I've done, and. My Alaskan trip was, besides my honeymoon, um, 
the Alaskan trip was the coolest thing I've ever done. If you've never been there, I'm not even going to attempt to explain it anymore because it's one of those you have to go there to experience it and you won't find a place like Alaska. I'm still trying to convince my wife that we need to move there and she's not completely against it. So we might be working on something here. Um, I could probably find another firefighting job up there and that would be bad ass. So thanks for listening. I'm going to wrap this up here. If you've got any more questions about our flights, trip, places to eat, places to see, things to do, uh, maybe you went to Alaska and you've got something to talk about, um, hit me up at 3milecreek1 at gmail.com. That's our email. Or go over to our Instagram page, 3milecreek, and send me a message on there, and I'd love to get back to you or discuss any stories you have. Um, so t- that's a wrap for tonight. Unfortunately, the wild couldn't pull it off. Um, just one final thing is I forgot to talk about, and I'm not going to go into depth about it, but I am all packed and ready to go to South Dakota, Rapid City area, going on a fly fishing trip there for four days. We leave Thursday. Thursday morning, we're going to hit up the Missouri River, do a little walleye fishing. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, yeah, Easter Sunday, I'm going to be fly fishing. That didn't go over very well with my very religious wife. But we compromised, and I'm going fishing, and we're all going to be okay. So I'm gonna, my next podcast will probably be a follow-up to that trip. Um, hope you guys have a good, safe rest of your week and Easter. Um, hang out with family, have a few drinks, eat a lot of food, go to church, or don't. That's up to you. I'm not going to get religious. I'm a religious man, but I don't ever push my religion on anyone else. And to each their own. Everyone have a good night, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Mm -hmm.